Live from the Dragon's Lair at the Falcor Defense Headquarters in Kalispell, Montana, this is Behind the Flame. We have an awesome show today, folks. Andy Stumpf is in-house, a local for the Flathead Valley, but a lot of you probably heard of him before, rather. And before I hand it over to John, I do want to thank our show sponsors that make every episode of Behind the Flame happen. That would be Mark Bell Slingshot, a new sponsor of ours, Taurus USA, the always awesome Kenzie's Optics, Bang Energy, and 221B Tactical. Thanks a lot to all of our show sponsors for helping us out with every episode. And with that, folks, I'm handing it over to our awesome host, John Bartolo. Sam, that was excellent. Thank you. I appreciate it. I want to go around the horn real quick. I want to thank Austin Web Designs here for producing today, firing up the machine. He did a great job. Is this your first full-fledged production? It is. It is. All right. Hats off. Scummins. Scummins on the intro. He's got his multicam hat on today. Is that official? Is that proper Marine multicam? You might get you might catch it's some Navy shit. Navy SEAL multicam. You could get named. No, there is no Navy SEAL multicam. <laughs> <laughs> I thought uh, Marines use Marpat. Yeah. You're not even authorized multicam. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't, he doesn't know what he's talking. I don't know about. what I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> Clearly, I'm staying in my lane. Uh, Aaron, Aaron's in here. He's going to jump in a little bit later. We'll have some some input from him as we get into some of the jujitsu stuff, and uh, of course Jason Sanju, the man who pays the bills. We want to thank him, of course, and Melinda uh, for paying the bills and keeping the lights on. So we have an awesome guest in today. We're going to have a blast. He is a local. Uh, we've gone back and forth, uh, kind of trying to get this man in, and uh, he's got a phenomenal um, brand. He's going to talk about. He's got a bunch of stuff going on. And uh, we both share a passion now for jujitsu and, and getting on the mats, and we're going to talk about some of that stuff. But uh, we'll touch on very briefly. I mean, the man is a former Navy SEAL. We may as well get into that for a split second. But we're in, in, in honor of Ray Cashcare. We're not going to talk about buds. Perfect. So we're going to stay away from that. But I want to turn it yeah, over. We got to keep the track record. We got to keep the track record clean. The track record clean. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. Okay. Now we're done talking about it. Now we're, we're done. So, it's, it's overrated as it is anyway, and people make far too much of it. So, In the immortal words of Ray, it's hard. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, enough said. You know, We're going to dive right in as we always do. Uh, I always ask the first question to all our guests. Andy, how did you get here? Well, today I just hopped in my truck and drove over. It's about a mile from my house, so that's an easy answer. Don't be a wise prick. <laughs> he, he, he took the tour. He visited the facility. He's met some of the folks, and he knows already some of the folks, so yeah. he's kind of an at-home guest. Uh, how did you get to this point, and how did you get back here in Montana? And after all these things that you've done, and if you've you know, visited his page or you follow Andy, you see all the crazy shit he's done through the years. You know, Take me back to like the decision to go into the Navy and all that, and, and how did you get to this point? Uh, I mean, I, I can work backwards. So physically landing in Montana was directly driven by my wife. She was born and raised in Great Falls, uh, east of here a few hours. I've actually, I don't think I've ever been. Uh, and like most Montana people that I've met who have either were born here or have lived here a long time, they'd never stop talking about it. It's like this magnetizing force. We have to go back. So we came and visited for a few years over Christmas. And I mean, I love it. I feel so much more alive in a place like this than I did in San Diego where we lived before. So it was her pull to get us here, uh, but everything that left led up to that, what I've done in my adult life, and I use that term with uh, air quotes because I loosely consider myself to be an adult, uh, <laughs> was kind of haphazard other than the decision to join the military. Uh, I, I come from a military family. I actually just did a podcast with my dad where we went through the whole kind of legacy of my mother's side of the house, which was Army specific, and then my side of the house, my, my, my dad's side, which was Navy specific. And it's been generational, uh, but I think that will end with my kids. All three of them have expressed no desire to serve, which I'm actually very thankful for. 
Uh, and for me, when I was really young, like 11 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. And I don't remember exactly where I heard about uh, the SEAL teams, but it was, it, it just hooked me. And it became an insatiable uh, desire and driving point in my life, which is uh, atypical for people to hear. But in, you know, we have these cage areas and team rooms and just about everybody in those rooms said exactly the same thing. So it's, it was odd to hear outside, but very, it was a completely normal narrative inside of the community. So it was a very common story. Wow. I uh, actually enlisted when I was a junior in high school. I <laughs> brought home a piece of paper in the Navy recruiter and told my parents I needed them to sign, which they both did, and then left for Navy boot camp and just went through the whole traditional pipeline. Again, BUDS was hard. <laughs> so I did boot camp, the hard course known as BUDS, and then started my career on the West Coast, a little bit of time on the East Coast. Finished up on the West Coast in 2013. And until that time, from joining the Navy until 2013, it was very singularly focused. It was just military. I wasn't doing any of the skydiving. I was skydiving, but not nearly to the degree that I'm able to do it now because I didn't have the time. And after the military, I started to pursue uh, base jumping, which is jumping off of things as opposed to out of things. Jesus. Which led me to interfacing with brands. That's how I uh, had my original sponsorship relationships. And I was working for actually CrossFit at the time, a strength and conditioning company. And I had more interface with brands, and which led to public speaking, which led to the forming of my consulting company in the leadership world. And really post-military, if I'm being completely honest, everything that I've done up until this point has been me either taking the advice of people that are much smarter than me, which isn't that's not a very high bar to get over. Mm. Um, but when really smart, successful people say, Hey, you should take a look at doing this. I say, okay, I'm going to do that. Or just opportunities that were placed in front of me. So I was very focused in the military, but post military, it has been a little bit more of a, a ship that has been adrift and just taking opportunities as they come. It's powerful actually. Um, taking opportunities. I think that's well said. I think uh, I don't think people really simplify it down to those terms enough. Take the opportunities that come in front of you. If uh, you're open to them, and I and I didn't realize this until I mean, because you're so focused on your job when you're in the military, you, I didn't realize what was available in the outside world, and I was so used to having a rigid structure that was provided for me, and then I left that structure, and those walls were taken down. If you lift your head up and look around, there is nothing but opportunity. Maybe not all of them are a great fit, but. I mean, some of the best things that have happened, our move to Montana is another great example. If I hadn't taken some of those opportunities from an employment perspective, I wouldn't have been able to leave San Diego and plant my family here. Wow. I, I, I actually, that's a great outlook. You know, um, you know, when I came out here, it was a huge opportunity for me. And, uh, you know, it, it was like really fish out of water. I struggled for a long, I still struggle for a long time. It's, it's very different for me meeting people coming out here and uh, I didn't have a family structure, so to speak. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, taking the opportunity, looking at that opportunity, it's like a, I've learned as I went, but uh, I kind of never looked at it like that. And that's a great, great way to look at it, you know, taking that opportunity and viewing it as, as such, but uh, phenomenal advice. I think, you know, right off the bat, you know, what, what's the passion and where does the passion come from to do the sky? I mean, these aren't normal. <laughs> let's be straight. These aren't normal things. People hear skydiving, base jumping, yeah. you know, I have to have you touch on it. You know what? And I always like to understand the mindset. What makes you say, I'm going to, I'm a perfectly good human being, 
but I'm gonna jump off this obnoxiously tall base because I just feel like I should. Where, where does that come from, that mindset? Well, the skydiving has to come first. And for me, I was exposed to that just purely as a, a part of my previous occupation. Right after the difficult course known as BUDS, <laughs> they sent my entire class to Fort Benning, Georgia, to Static Line Jump School, which was a terrible call for the military to do because we had 30-some people who refused to follow orders and guidance of any kind. And for three weeks, we learned how to fall down. Would you agree, Aaron? It's basically learned how to fall down. And then I was wedged in a C-130, and I'm glad that I was because I don't know if I would have jumped if I was the first person staring out the door. And in one second, I was in the plane, and then the other second, I was out of the plane and then went heels head on my first jump and said, I never want to do this again. But I had to. And then that eventually led me to going to the military free fall course. So all of the jumping initial exposure uh, came from the military. I hated static line. I still hate static line with a passion, even though I have somewhere between 80 to 100 static line jumps. And then the first time I did a free fall jump, I mean, the experience could not be different. There, it doesn't hurt. It's exciting. You actually have a view. You can enjoy what's going on. The parachute opens in a very comfortable manner most of the time, and it's highly controllable. And when you land, it doesn't hurt. The first time I did that, I, I was like, oh, okay. This is, mm. kind of, this is kind of my jam. And because of my occupation in the military and the command that I was at at the time, I had a lot of latitude to pursue a skill set that I wanted to. So I ended up going to essentially every air course that the military offered. Oh, that's badass. So static line jump master, free fall jump master, accelerated free fall instructor, tandem master, tandem master instructor, videographer. And I just kept going and going and going and going. And in the process of doing that, uh, the military has few subject matter experts. So what they do is they draw from world champions in every discipline, like shooting. We would go to world-class shooting schools, driving schools. Jumping was no different. So I was introduced while I was in the military to probably the best jumpers in the world. And when I got out of the military, I still had that, you know, the, the that connection. The network. Mm -hmm. So I started jumping with them. And it's amazing how fast you can get better at something by being surrounded by people who are the best at it. And through them, I was introduced to base jumping, which is an activity that I don't recommend that anybody pursue. Uh, I try to be... I try to be very open and honest about the risk associated with it, but I also try not to romanticize the risk because some people want to get into the sport just so they can say, hey, look at me. I'm a badass base jumper. Look, I'm risking my, li I'm risking my life. Look at what I'm able to do. And I've seen enough of those people turn into grease spots on the side of the mountain that I don't, I don't advocate that people go that route. But for me, it was uh, very rewarding. But I'm also at a phase of my life right now. I think my base jumping career is over but I'm going to keep skydiving. You heard it here first. Yeah. Andy Stump's base jumping career. I'm pretty sure. I'm not positive. My main base jumping <laughs> uh, partner, a guy I went on every trip with for about three years, died in June Oof. in France on a base jump. And he was uh, friends with the family. He knew, uh, knew all of my kids. He knew my wife. And oh for the first God. time, uh, my wife actually asked me to stop. You hear so many of these stories, too, as it pertains to motorcycles. we got a lot of motorcycle guys in the house, you know, as they have kids and they grow up. And I know Jason, for a long time, he did a lot of the uh, snowmobile stuff, and you hear a lot of that. You know, as you get older, you get more responsibility. It gets harder and harder to justify, I would imagine. The risk versus reward in the base jumping world is, I mean, if you're being objective about it, it's impossible mm. to justify because the reward that I got from it was individual in nature only. Mm -hmm. uh, it 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 helped me, I actually think it helped me be a better parent. It helped me think more clearly. It helped recalibrate a lot of the things 
that happened between my ears that has nothing to do with jumping, but that physical act of standing on a ledge where every alarm bell in your body says, don't do this, you're going to die, and you're scared to death. You can only think about the next two seconds of your life when you're standing on the edge of that cliff. So like on the hike up there, I'm like, God damn it, did I write the mortgage check? You know, or I don't have enough money for this, or what am I going to do about that? And the closer you get to the jump, all of that stuff strips away until you're just standing there living in that moment. Oh my God. That helped me with all those other things that I talked about, but it only helped me. It wasn't helping my kids, save for the fact that, I mean, obviously, if I can be a better parent, it helps them. But the ability to justify, hey, I'm going to go consistently risk my life doing this for that limited amount of benefit, it's getting tougher. And tougher. You got to let it go. Yeah. You know. Um, so let me ask a naive question for the listeners out there. I'm sure uh, not everybody's a base jumper, skydiver with, with hundreds of plus jumps. How do you get better at jumping out of a perfectly good airplane? The answer to that is in the question. You jump more. <laughs> oh, there you go. You heard it here, folks. So you jump more to get better at jumping. How do you get better at shooting? You shoot more. There you Rounds go. down range. Yep. Quality training. It's really all it is. You have, uh, I mean, if you look at any physical skill that you see somebody who is, you know, the 10,000 hour rule, mm-hmm. it, it's the same. It, how do you get better at making a great podcast? You make more podcasts. You make more podcasts. Yeah, that's all it is. You refine the process. So, you know, it, that is such exciting stuff. I mean, so, so we always, you know, kind of do this on every episode to appease the, the listeners out there. So we've had pro shooters on, we've had ninjas on, we've had uh, black belts, we've had this, we've had that. Now we have a, a, a jumper. We have an, is that mm-hmm. the right term? Sure. All right. I don't so, know what the right term is. Yeah, <laughs> extreme extreme athlete or something. So this is this is a wild journey, Andy. I mean, it's crazy. And then you get back here, and you're in Montana. You're settled in, and and you have the podcast. And yep, that sounds like uh, it's a lot of fun. And and when did you launch that? So the podcast falls right back into taking opportunities and advice from people who are further down the road than you are. Amen. Um, living in, I was living in San Diego. I was it was post military and. Most of my time at the time period that the podcast was created, I would go to the drop zone five days a week, jump between eight to ten times a day, just go out there having a blast, pictures, video, you know, it's illegal to jump without a GoPro. That's what skydivers will tell you. You know, if, if it happened without a GoPro, did it actually happen? Didn't happen. You know, like the tree falling in the forest. Mm-hmm. And at that time period, I got introduced through a mutual friend to Joe Rogan. And I made the mistake of going on his podcast without ever having listened to a podcast before and having no idea the audience pool that he actually had. And I answered the questions and the topics that we talked about very openly and honestly, which I still would do, but I might have chosen slightly different, uh, you know, terminology on some of the things. Do you regret not getting high? No, not at all. He can have that. Um, I have did enough of that when I was younger, growing up in Santa Cruz. So like I'm, I'm all set, but At the end of that, he said, you know, you should look at starting a podcast. And I said, well, you seem to know what you're talking about in this arena. That's awesome music. Yeah, what is that? What is that music? I don't know. Is that coming from somebody's phone? That ain't my phone. Whose ringtone is that? I want to know right now. It sounds like it's playing like in the building, but it's (laughs) it's, it's good background music. Is it somebody's computer? Oh. There it goes. There it goes. Someone was playing a... Some nice tunes. Yeah. So you go. You so arguably the most successful podcaster in the world says, hey, you should look at doing a podcast. In that moment, 
you should probably look at listening to what that person says. And that's where it was launched from. Yeah, Joe, Joe's, it's interesting because obviously, you know, we'll get to the jujitsu stuff. Uh, you know, me and Aaron will wrap about that. But like, uh, you, you know, watching some of his podcasts, it's so diverse and seeing how it's grown from just an MMA kind of kind of thing to now a mainstream pool. When we were talking about doing it here and diversifying it here and, and creating something, you know, a unique experience, and you got a little taste of it with the tour and mm -hmm. some of the things that we're doing, and, and Jason and, and Melinda and some of the team are working diligently to create more of an experience. I mean, I think from a brand perspective, Andy, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that's what it's all about. It's about creating almost an experience for not just the customer, the consumer, but you know, kind of something Bruce talked about at Quest Bar, which is like creating, anytime you want to create a brand, whether it's as Andy Stump or anything else, you want to have those thousand screaming fans. And how do you create those, those fans or that base of folks? You have to have an experience, whether that's through a podcast, and Joe actually calls his the Joe Rogan experience. Yep. So, you know, that, that was something we looked at here, and I had done Mark's podcast, which is another, you know, similarly large podcast in the, in the fitness industry, and now expanding out of that. I wanted to create something that was unique, that wasn't just about who's the biggest badass or who's the biggest this or who's the biggest that. I wanted to yes, create it's something. Back. It's back. <laughs> That's definitely a ringtone. Yeah, it's definitely a ringtone. Somebody's calling somebody. I we, like it. We're going to track it down. Yeah, but I like it. I wanted to create something that was really unique, and I think that I think we did. Well, I think it gives people, especially in uh, in this industry, specifically you know firearms, it's easy for people to go to a gun store and look at your product. But having something where they can interact and, you know, like right now you're live on YouTube and people can ask questions and they, it gives them a deeper level of interaction than just a, a random purchase at a store. Yeah. No, it's definitely different. And, you know, I think what, what was being done or what was being created was something that was there all the time but hadn't really been done on a level that they're doing it now. It's very large scale. It's, it's obviously something that... Um, you know, is unique. I don't know if it's coming out of this or what. We'll track it. Is it your phone? Is it? It's oh, your sure phone. It Andy's phone is playing some very luscious music. Holy cow. Olivia Nash. Who's that? I don't know. But don't there know you go. Either. You heard it here first. Yeah. Andy Stump listens to Kids Pop. I do. I have three kids. <laughs> and they have control and access to the music I listen to. So, yeah, you, I mean. Do you want to sing the theme song to Frozen together? Because I can do it. Let it, let it. <laughs> Let it snow. No, do you want to be a snowman? Come on, snowman. man. Snowman. <laughs> so I, you know, I think that that new medium that those guys are really, you know, doing and forging and, and creating, I think it's awesome. And I, I think that it's what Joe's doing is changing the whole game, and it's it's a lot of fun, and it's nice to watch play out, um, and they're fun to listen to. I mean, they're really a lot of fun to listen to. We didn't go to a format that was three hours long. But I thought but you could. You, you could. could change it at any time, depending you, on the guest or the topic. Yeah, and I, I thought, you know, I've listened to quite a few of his episodes start to finish. I thought, I thought uh, the Atlas episode was awesome. Uh, some of them I've gone all the way with, but he's he's doing great things. And you and you've rubbed elbows with you know a lot of exciting people, and Joe being one of them. Yep. And uh, we, we were throwing some names around downstairs. I mean, you've had some great experiences traveling and doing the public speaking and everything else. Um, Who's probably one of the more exciting people you've met and gotten great advice from, besides Joe? I mean, he might be, as far as, he might be the individual on Earth that has access to more information. Because you know, his data points are so diverse and the mm. diversity of people. 
that he comes in contact with. So I think it would be tough to beat Joe as far as uh, his diversity of experience. Uh, and he retains knowledge really well. He, he likes to downplay his intelligence. And I've, I mean, I've been very fortunate to spend some time with him, obviously away from the podcast setting and lights and cameras and all that stuff. Yeah. He's a very smart guy and he's a very personable guy. He's actually exactly like he is on the show. There's just no microphone and headset on, uh, but he's very smart. So, and he's definitely given me some good advice. Uh, you know, I try to take advice from everybody. I mean, if I had to describe myself as anything, I guess it would be a sponge. I don't necessarily, uh, I don't necessarily take action on all of the advice that people give or the beliefs that people have, but I'm willing to at least listen to it. Even if I don't agree with it, I'm not going to summarily dismiss it uh, from the get go. Like my dad is a good example. He's been a huge role model in my life and we violently disagree on some <laughs> topics, uh, but I'll still listen to it. Um, uh, in the business world, uh, I've got some people that have really helped me in the public's, uh, speaking sector. I'm not going to mention their names just because they're not public, uh, individuals and they're working for large organizations, but talking to me about, you know, how to build a business, how to create, uh, you know, forming an LLC, all of that stuff mm. that you're never going to know until you do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and having somebody to shepherd you along those way, uh, along the way, um, I just try to take something or I'm open to taking something from anybody. And I could care less if it's a celebrity or somebody who has star power or somebody that works at Starbucks. Yeah, I think I think, you know, I can attest to one thing. And most of the guys around here know that because one of the things Mark asked me is, you know, the people I've rubbed elbows with. And I I said it, I, you know, I said I've been blessed not to be like a starstruck dude. Yeah. I don't meet people and I'm like, oh, hey, so-and-so, like, oh, let me take a picture. I, I've taken a picture of probably a quarter of the people that I'm in awe of sometimes in terms of like what they've accomplished and people you feel you want to take advice from. But the best advice I've ever gotten, which kind of harkens to what you're saying, is I liked in this, I didn't coin this, I can't take credit for it. Um, assume everybody in the room is smarter than you till proven otherwise. Yeah. And that'll get you to kind of shut the fuck up and pay attention. And I think if you shut up and pay attention for a while, let people talk, hear them out, first seek to understand, then seek to be understood kind, yeah. of, kind of philosophy. And let people kind of show you what they're about. And some people like to talk more. People say I do. Some people like to talk less. And that doesn't make you smarter or dumber or anything in between. Some people have a lot of great points to contribute, and some people do not. And it just really depends on how much you're willing to take in, because you control what you're willing to take in. Yeah, I think some good advice that I got, and it holds true, I think, for just about everybody, is you know when you're in that setting where you're in a mixed company and there's a lot of people mm -hmm. talking, try to be the last person in the room to say something. Yeah. Because that means you're listening to what everybody else has to say, and it might actually change what you were going to say before something comes out of your mouth and you look like an asshole. Yeah, no, and I actually had a talk with somebody, you know, as we kind of stem into the jujitsu stuff, I had a talk with someone that's in deep deep training last night. We were chatting and I w we were throwing advice around and they, uh, you know, were chiming in, in in one of the courses and they were like, oh, I think I upset my instructor. And I said, uh, well, why? And, I, you know, they were asking a lot of questions. I said, look, asking questions is never a bad thing, but don't be the person that asks so many questions that the people in the class feel you could have asked those after class yeah. or one-on-one. -on -one. You know, kind of let the teacher or let the person in the room instructor make their points the way that they want to so that they may have a method to their madness of how they're articulating themselves and how they're teaching, especially as it pertains to coaching or speaking or anything else. There may be a method to their madness and a path that they're trying to take you down. And sometimes that path will be the quickest way for you to absorb the information. 
uh, that they're trying to give you. And they're like, wow, I've, I've never really thought of it that way. And I said, yeah, I mean, just let go through the process. It's a process. And meeting people and interacting and having human interaction is a process. You can always tell my comfort level around people by how much I'll talk around that group of people. If I don't know them, I like to get to know what, what they're all about. And you can usually, you know, get to know someone's motives pretty quickly Yep, by letting them talk. Agreed. But it's amazing. It's amazing, you know, um, here one of the things has always been kind of I love, I don't know if you call it people watching, but basic human interaction and kind of understanding people, which is why I like to believe I, I have some of the friendships I have. I, I just really enjoy hearing people's story and the process and kind of how they got to where they are. And I think that a lot of that's lost in social media and in the speed and, yeah. you know, of things. As much as we have this love-hate with social media, uh, I'd like to get your thoughts kind of what do you think about it and, and, you know, particularly as it pertains to Facebook, Instagram, things like that. How do you feel about that world? Uh, well, I'm contractually obligated to have a presence there uh, <laughs> on the sponsorship side of the house. You know, in the sponsorship world, that's one of the first metrics that they want to look at. Uh, I find social media to be neither social nor media. It uh, actually, I think, uh, degrades the ability of human beings to communicate because it's a consequence-free environment where that doesn't require face-to-face -face interaction, so you can right. get away with saying anything you want to. Uh, and you're launching stuff into the ether, and it, from a cheap seat perspective, it seems to me that people just write whatever they want to because they're like, it doesn't matter, it's not real. Whereas the impact that it can have on people can be very, very real in the real world. That's well said. And, you know, every, I always say to all my guys, you know, before SHOT Show, before we're in a, a setting where there's going to be a lot of folks, I'm always like, everybody, somebody just ask them. Yeah. They'll tell you. So with that being said, as far as it pertains to social media for me, I try to tell people all the time, everybody thinks they deserve a say. And they do, right? The First Amendment's afforded them that. But to the same extent... I think, you know, it's over said that people should be kinder. They should understand people's journey, what got them to where they are. They shouldn't be so quick to feel like they need to put folks down or make a negative comment or feel they need to critique or judge. Because part of the issue I have with social media, and I want to get your thoughts on it because you're, you're definitely a bright guy that's, you know, accomplished and I look up to, where does, where does it come from? when people feel that need that they need to correct other people. <laughs> where, where does that come from when a total... It's one thing if you're paying money for the coaching, like yeah. we do. We all do in this room in some level. And you pay for that coaching. Where does it come from in their soul, in their gut, that they feel they need to say, you know what, Andy? You're not Navy SEAL enough, or you're not this, or, or you know, the way you did that, that wasn't good enough. Where does that come from? Uh, I mean, obviously, I'll have to hypothesize here. And my hypothesis would be that I think most people who go down that route at some level are unhappy about something in their own life, and it's an outlet for them to, I don't know if it makes them feel better to put other people down or to critique, but it's for whatever reason they feel that they are justified because of how they feel to maybe try to impart that feeling on others. Yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, I mean, I'm glad you brought it up that way because I disagree with the theory that it makes them feel better. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, yeah. yeah. I don't think they're done making their point and they say, geez, I feel really good that I just put him down. But I do think that there's something to be said about the place they are in life, that they're in a very negative state and they feel they need to correct other people. Like, I know I'm short, fat, and Italian. 
I don't need to be reminded. I know of all my flaws. And I'm very aware of them. And, and when people feel they need to degrade you or put you down or make a statement, they don't know what you've been through, whether it's founded or not founded. They don't know what's, what's shaped you or what's created the person that you are today, but they feel the need to say some shit. And I think that's I think, what it comes down but to. But I think a lot of that is due to the nature of social media, social media in and of itself. It's a medium where you can't unpack anything. So people... I mean, really, so, so you follow somebody on Instagram, as an example. Do you really have a clue at all what that person's life or how they're feeling internally? It gives you an insight into what they want you to see, mm. not the reality of what their world is. And I know, and, and actually, where was I reading the article? It was yesterday. Some Instagram model that I have no idea who it is, but she was being hailed as a hero because she came forward and was basically talking about how she was faking it on social media. Mm. Uh, and I appreciate the fact that she was honest. I think we should be a little bit more clear with our language and who we consider to be a hero and not. But I, it's a medium where people portray what they want. And most people will portray themselves on a peak. And I think most people live somewhere between the valley and the peak. And it's really, it's just not the medium. Right. And so since everybody's on a peak, everybody's like, well, it becomes this dick measuring contest. So I'm going to knock you down a peg. So my pick, you know what I mean? It's just, it's in, and it's insidious. Well, like the momentum builds and builds and builds. Well, I'll make a point. I know Aaron's going to jump on the mic. We'll get into some stuff. But um, I think, you know, social media is designed by nature to show you the best part of your day, right? I'm going to show you the best part of my day. It's and it designed makes, to show you the part of your day that I want to show you. Yeah. And, and I think that's a good thing. I think in nature, that is a good thing. Show me, hey, guys, you know, I got a, uh, a stripe or I got a medal at whatever competition. I feel good about myself. I'm going to put this up. I, I do stuff like that. Hey, I got in shape. I feel good. You know, yay me. And the, the joke around is if I post one more picture of my abs, I'm like, motherfucker, I was fat. I'm going to post pictures of my abs because I worked extremely hard to get to that point. And as a fat Italian kid from Boston, staying away from the pasta is pretty impossible for me. Do you uh, use the hashtag yay me? Yay me. So, <laughs> you know, I feel good about that. And that's a good thing. I think in nature, that design creates a path for success. Where it goes awry is people that don't have those small goals or set those small goals or have those little little victories in their life that they can't put up. But they do have things to celebrate. They're just fixated on the negative in their life. They do, whether they have a family, whether they have a roof over their head, food. But they feel like their story isn't good enough or it's not going to win them any fans. Now, I do think there's a lot of people with a lot of sadness behind their accounts. And they're really not fulfilled. But if you're looking for fulfillment through social media in life, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Every day, yeah. Very quickly, you have to transition your brain to, this is a business. I'm showing you what I want to show you throughout my day. You don't know the real me. There's a lot of things, and everybody in this office will attest to this, that I do that never see the light of day on social media. Uh, there's a lot of things I could easily post and say, here I am doing X, Y, or Z, but I don't. Um, there's reasons for that, and I have my own personal reasons, and they're great things, and they're things that could probably make me even viewed as more of a quote-unquote hero, whatever the fuck you want to call it, but I choose not to show those sides of me. Um, they're things that are private, and I keep them there. But I think, you know, by and large, people should be kinder. People should show a little more um, deference to whatever the folks are doing out there and whatever they enjoy doing and just say, hey, good for you. I appreciate that. Thank you for showing me that. Thank you for telling me your story. I didn't know that about you. Or Andy, that's awesome. I always use the elevator test uh, because, you know, people can be pretty brash on social media. 
uh, but I like to think I have a pretty clean, tr like I don't engage in arguments and I don't put people down because I picture the person that I'm talking to standing in an elevator next to me. Oh, yeah. And my litmus test is, would I say this to this person's face and accept the consequences of doing so? And I think if more people use that, it would really clean up the uh, social exchange on all those platforms. Well, before we get into the jujitsu, I'm going to say this, <laughs> and everybody in this room will attest to this, and everybody in this building. I've had more beefs with people on social media, and then I see them at shows, and I'm at a fucking booth number. You know where to find me, motherfucker. They don't even show up. Yeah. I don't even know them. The first thing I tell all my friends close to me, I say, if you ever see someone that's hated on me, and I've had them through the years in the business, please ask them one question. Have you ever actually met John? Have you met him? Face to face, have you shook his hand and met him and had a conversation with him? More often than not, nine times out of 10, the answer will be no. Yeah. And if you try to get an answer out of somebody, this is my litmus test. If you try to get an answer out of somebody as to why they hate, and the story changes every time, chances are they're full of shit and they're just jealous or they just have something to say. Yeah. And that's my litmus test. And more often than not, if I know someone, I'm the first to say, listen, I know the dude. He's never wronged me, and he's a pretty good dude. You don't know him. So leave it there. Uh, let's dive into the, the jujitsu. So now we're both going through something very humbling, and I got Aaron on the mic. Are. All three of us. I got Aaron yeah. on the mic now. All three of us are definitely alpha dudes. Nobody likes to tell us what to do, when to do it, and how to get there. We're definitely at that point. It's amazing that we've all had some level of structure in our life at different <laughs> points. That blows my fucking mind. I, I, you know, I, I had played sports, all, you know, all through my life, through through school, and then, uh, you know, the academy and all that. And I was always told when to eat, how to eat. We've all been through this, right? I, I call it, you know, uh, student formation test. You know, have you ever stood in formation? We've all been through this. And I doubt any one of us really ever expected that in the last, was it, six, eight months, all of us have been training a year? Uh, just under four months. Just under me. four months for you, about six or eight for you, right, Aaron? Uh, no, 15 months. 15 months. So Aaron's along. He's the senior guy in here. We're the senior all, ninja, yeah, if you will. We're yeah. all back at a late stage of our, a mid-stage of our life. I don't want to say late. We're not old yet. Yeah. I'm definitely old. But, but we're all being told what to do again. How the fuck did we get kind it? Kind of. It's we more. Are. It, we, I don't know, Aaron. What do you think? I think it's more of a broad architecture, and it's like, yeah, here's some general rules. If you go this way and make this choice, you're going to suffer. We recommend you go this way, but explore the space a little bit on your own. You, We're getting humbled. You are definitely, oh, for sure. You are definitely given some leniency. Yeah. It's, it's up to you. It's because we're paying for that leniency. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it's up to you whether you want to progress a little yeah. higher or just stay there at that medium, which, which I mean, however you want to look at it. But, yeah, it's it's humbling, especially when you have a 165-pound woman, like, whoop your ass. And, like and we, like, and yeah, and we are dedicating this segment to Leah Taylor at SBG in uh, yep. Kalispell, Montana. This whole and entire the ass whippings that she's handed you. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's crazy. So, Aaron, I'll let you start. You know, how what was your thought process to get into it? Uh, well, I've, I've always been uh, interested in martial arts when I was like a young kid, but uh, the, the realization came when I was actually working security at the hospital here at the KMRC. And uh, you can't, uh, once somebody walks through the door, they're a patient. They're not at any other medium, you know, they're not labeled in any, mm -hmm. any, any, any other way. So you have to go through things in a nonviolent approach. So you can't, you know, Put them in a headlock. Verbal jujitsu. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of two, you know two on ones, you know head and arms, uh, you know nonviolent, as as passive as it could possibly get. And I was actually lifting with uh, 
Coach Leah at uh, Beast Athletes. Mm. So we were doing powerlifting together, and I was, you know, and Donnie was talking to me about her, and I was like, who is this really cool chick, you know? So I like did some research, and I was like, holy crap, like she's a badass. And so I got like a one-on-one with her, and she was doing some two-on-ones, you know, and some body locks, and I was like, girl, really cool. And she's like, so you want to sign up? And I was like, I'm hooked. I was, yep. yeah, I was just hooked. Drinking so, the Kool-Aid. Yeah. You, Andy? Uh. So I won't say his name because he works in the uh, local environment uh, in a law enforcement capacity. But let's just say he <laughs> wouldn't shut up about it. Oh, and yeah. We I, know exact, <laughs> I know exactly who the fuck you mean. So we were um, enjoying multiple, multiple adult cocktails at the house one night downstairs. And it's not it, – I could care less if he wanted to shut up about it. I could tell he was passionate about it. And when I hear that level of passion in somebody, it's like, okay – now, now I'm interested. Um, quite frankly, most people think with my background, they're like, oh, you can kill somebody with your pinky. I'm like, no, that's bullshit. It's the index finger. But, <laughs> but the reality is the amount of hands-on training that we get is very, very low. Prisoner handling. Uh, and then some people do, in fact, go down the combatives rabbit hole or the jiu-jitsu rabbit hole. A lot of that is outside of work, though. Yeah, yeah Dom will tell you that, too, and so will Ray. Yeah, yeah. and so... You know, I, th- I think this individual probably because he was asking about it. I'm like, dude, um, I just never let anybody get that close to me. Mm-hmm. You know, my I always wanted space and distance to separate myself for safety. And it, honestly, I went down there because I considered him to be a good friend. I saw the passion in him. I'd always and I knew some people. Jocko's a good example. I've known Jocko for a long time. I know how passionate he is about it. It just it never was the right time in my life, and I had some time in it. I had an opening to go down and I went in and just kind of, I really didn't know exactly what it was before I went in at a broad, like, I guess I'm like, Oh, okay. Jiu-jitsu is this. Well, I was like 99% wrong. So I went in and did my first class. I think you actually might've been in my first class. Uh, uh, coach Cody was in my first class from uh, big fork I actually partnered up with him and it was just cool. Right. And as soon as you see the utility of it and the fact that it works regardless of body type, body size, I mean, you want to talk about Leah. I mean, I outweigh her probably by 50 pounds, and like, I just get pretzeled all the time. And to me, I think for a lot of guys, that would be a huge turn off to the jujitsu aspect of it. But She's, but she's if, the devil. But if she can do that, even though I am stronger, that to me speaks to the legit, legitimacy of it. And as soon as I started seeing that and the applicability of it, I mean, that was the end of it right there. Well, what's, what's funny is, is you, so you do like an interim role into CAP, so it's yeah. like – you know, an upstage from foundations. And I've seen her literally like crush dudes souls yeah. because they thought that they could just out muscle her. And it's like, no, dude, like for one, for first of all, she is a world-class athlete. She won worlds last year and she knows her stuff. So there has to be some, you know, level of respect that, that goes with that. But on the flip side, she is a black belt in jujitsu and they, and they don't just hand those out. I mean, that's, it's hard earned. So, yep. Oh Yeah. The the belting and jujitsu. I mean, we had Ruben on. He he got into it. It's it's for real. I mean, for me, I wrote this on my SBG questionnaire. This is like probably the most famous answer. They said, "Why did you start doing this?" I said, "Because of a bet." And they all looked at me. Leah looked at me, kind of cockeyed. And I said, "It's tremendous motivation, though." It and, is. You know, Ruben and I sat here, and he goes, "Listen, you go do jujitsu, and I'll lose twenty pounds." I said, if you lose 20 pounds, first of all, I'll fucking drop dead right here. I said, but uh, I'll, I'll sign up. And I said, uh, not only will I sign up, I'll sign up for six months or a year. 
I said, I'll commit. How so long have you been at it so far? So now I think I'm into like uh, maybe my 15th lesson or so, 10 or 15 lessons, about 20 lessons in. You know, what do you getting, think? It's a great question. I mean, I had done, you know, I was, as a kid, I was in Boy Scouts and karate and stuff like that, you know, as a youngster. and uh, Karate, if you will. Yeah, you know. And, uh, Coach Travis says karate. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. You know, I mean, that stuff like kind of laid a little bit of a foundation. Then you go to the academy and you get the defensive tactics and, of course, playing football. As, as probably both of you know, especially at a high level, a lot of the games played down on the bucket. You're in the athletic stance, and it's all this, and your hands are in, and like like Lee likes to say, the dove hands, and you're, you're in. So you get used to that type of stance, and then of course, you know, um, going through the academy, you get a little bit of a manad knock, you get mm -hmm. all that stuff, and I had done all that training, and then training with Dom and doing a lot of the blade stuff and everything else through the years with the different guys on the range. I didn't come into it totally blind. Uh, I had obviously trained with Tony a ton down at Knockout Zone and down in Miami and spent a lot of time uh, in the mount from Ruben and some of the guys, George Elizondo and some guys down there and the Muay Thai guys. And you, you get kicked and you get punched and you learn a heavy dose of combatives. And I had also kind of, you know, sparred with those guys and spent time down at Knockout Zone. So I had a baseline of what I thought I was getting into. But fuck me. <laughs> When, when you go there, and I'm not yeah. talking about go there and take a class. When you take a private lesson, which all of us have, yep. and you got to roll and you got to get into it and drill for an hour, an hour and a half, and we all go long, that first time, your eyes are opened because you really do realize, and I, and I had a breath of knowledge, and we all did, of what a two to three minute fight really is and what it is to actually roll around with someone. But what I loved about jiu-jitsu, because you do your own research, too. Mm -hmm. What I loved about jiu-jitsu versus the other disciplines, and everybody knows this if you do an ounce of research, is you could do it into a later age, which I really fully appreciated, because you get older, and you start feeling the bangs and the bumps and everything else that you go through training. You can't run around, look, no disrespect to anybody. But I can't be out there in the fucking knee pads on the range at 50, 60 years old. It's just, it's not in my cards. I wanted to do something that still kept me in the game and taught me a lot. And I think I live by a philosophy, and, you know, this is what's unique about me. I think everybody should be humbled at different points in life. I think when you have your biggest success, you should, sh you should search in life for your largest humbling moment. Bring yourself back down. And a lot of people times say, my wife keeps me grounded, or they say, this keeps me grounded, my kids. I don't have that, so I need to have something that knocks me down a few pegs. So I've had a lot of highs, and I have a lot to be thankful for in life. But I also need something that says, hey, you ain't shit. You know, come here and do this. And, of course, Leah does a great job of saying, you ain't shit. You know, come here, and she gets, you know, you start rolling with her, and she's laughing at you, and you're going through it, and you're like, what I thought I know, I don't know. Yeah. And if I knew that I knew nothing, I might know something. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of go through that process. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal thing because you put the, I call it the costume. It's a line. You put the costume on, you go in there, and uh, you just get your ass handed to you, and you're learning, and you're processing. And I, I can honestly say the last couple of lessons, I feel like I've grown light years because, you know, Ruben and I had spent some time rolling, you know, consistently. He said to me, he said, you'll have a huge breakthrough around, you know, lesson 17, 18, 19, 20 when you start getting in there. And he was a big advocate. He goes, do a lot of privates in the beginning because it'll accelerate you. So when you go into the classes, you don't yep. feel like a total, you know, shit heel. And he was right. You know, he was absolutely correct about well, that. Well, I, I think uh, to Eddie and I's 
I'm, I wasn't a SEAL. I didn't do anything special. Um, Don't just, worry, buddy. Oh. Neither did I. Believe me. It's just a grunt. But, you know, when you're deployed, if you have to get into, like, a hand-to-hand -hand fight while you're deployed, you're in a world of shit. Yeah, mm -hmm. things have gone wrong at that point. So I, that's that's kind of the reason why, you know, combatives is kind of touched on, but it's not really harped on. Yep. If, if I think that's a fair Yeah, and, and I think now there's, and, and you, you know, especially in law enforcement, which is something I, I could speak to a little bit, I, I think... You, you're you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So I think jujitsu is a great compliment, and that's something Ruben and I talked about to the law enforcement community because it's not a striking discipline per se, and I think it protects you and it protects your your, your legalities in a lot of those situations. And Ruben even talked about that in a certain video that didn't go viral that he wasn't involved in, how he didn't um, have to you know use certain techniques that because of his knowledge and skill base he didn't have to use certain techniques that would have got him into some level of implication. So I think it's really important to understand what the role jujitsu can play and how it can help you and understand that it can help you not only develop patience in combatives and in those situations, but also understand your opponent better and what they're capable of very quickly. And that's what I feel is the difference between squaring up on somebody to box them. Because yeah. you, you really don't, you, you know, but you don't know. Everyone, I think, kind of knows a basic fighting stance. But when you get into the clinch with somebody, you know right away if they got it. You, you can tell almost yeah. immediately. Because if you have a level of skill set, and I don't know, I'll throw it to you guys, and it'd be a good question maybe to ask Leah. Maybe you'd be able to answer it the best, Aaron. You know, I, I think as you get to that third, fourth blue, blue belt level, you start to creep into that. 3% of what skill set that not a lot of people on the street have. I mean, by and large. I mean, what do you say to that? I mean, I, I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, yeah. I, I personally don't know, but I've, I've heard uh, Coach Travis say multiple times, like, once you hit blue belt level, you can you can teach. Like, you can legitimately teach. You can hurt somebody. Pretty and good. You're you're well-versed at that point. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not really itching to get there, but at the same time, like, I've that's, that's definitely my goal within the years, at least. Oh, hit. yeah. I mean, I think the goal is always to progress, of course. I mean, don't be modest there. I mean, I think everybody gets into it not to just take money and throw it in the bucket. I think you want to progress and grow, not just as a person. I don't think, you know, what's what's the, the saying? The belt is, what, two inches that covers your ass or something? What, what's the Gracie term? I am not familiar with yeah, that there, saying. There's I a don't term. <laughs> like, the belt is nothing more. But, but there is something to be said about developing the skill set. But it's been a lot of fun, and I've enjoyed you know the ride uh how's it been for you andy uh i mean if you had to pick it and reduce it down to one word i think all three of us could agree humbling probably mm. services that uh the best which in my opinion i think all men need to experience that on a routine basis it keeps them in check uh i it's like drinking from a fire hose like i said it's it seems to be a broad set of guidelines and you can kind of go in any direction you want to and there's pros and cons and negative and positive consequences and i like the fact because if you and i end up rolling it would be different than when i roll with aaron you know mm. it's it's it and that's where you have that broad set of guidelines because what i would do or what i well, i don't know what i would do if i roll with you other than run away <laughs> but for your body type and aaron's body you'd have to attack it from a different angle right, right? like that's why i think there's no just do this it's it's concepts, but I, I really like it. Um, and I like the open mat and rolling and pressure testing. For me, one of the important things is pressure testing the concepts. So, because like you said, you know, I'll do a lesson with Leah. She's like, all right, this is how you do this. And then she'll say, okay, let's drill. And she turns on that damn clock. Yeah. And it's like, God, it's so much harder from the concept phase to the pressure testing phase. And if it can stand up in the pressure test, 
then obviously it has that value. But a lot of that is you, the repetition, the time, putting the work in to develop the skill. But it's, I mean, for me, I, I really do enjoy it. I'm devoting as much time as I can on the days that I'm home. For one, I think it's an awesome workout. But for two, for two, secondly, uh, I get a lot of mental clarity out of it as well, too, because I'm not, you know what I mean? It's, it doesn't replace base jumping for me, but it's amazing the thoughts that I have go through my head and the things that I'm thinking about while I'm rolling. And I kind of just leave there refreshed, and it's like, okay, cool, what's, whatever. What, what's the day got next for me? Does getting the belts matter to you? I could care less. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I say that, and I think sometimes um, it's shocking to folks, but I'm like, you know, look, I'm, I'm at an age and stage of the game where just getting out of bed is exciting. So, you know, for me, it's it's a zero-sum game. I mean, what does the belt mean? I mean, it's, it is subjective, right, because different gyms have different timelines and different criteria. I don't, I don't even know what the stripe – the first stripe, I know what that means because it's the graduation from cap. Beyond that, I have no idea how you get the other ones. I don't care. Mm. And even in my short time there, you'll see a difference in ability between belts and the stripes. So – I mean, it just means that everybody's, I guess, it's a marker for where they are in their journey. And I think the mistake would be to look at somebody else's belt and then look down at your belt and make that comparison. Right. I no, think the I only agree. comparison can be look at your belt and compare it to where you were yesterday. But I think a lot of people err on the other side. It's, it becomes a competitive thing. Yeah, you, you definitely have, you almost have to focus on yourself and stay yeah. focused on yourself. Yeah, um, stay there. Because I've, I've rolled with a gal, and I, I'm not going to mention her name because I don't want her to, like, choke me out, but she's, like, 125 pounds soaking wet. And I rolled with her, and she was a two-striper, and then, lo and behold, she became, like, a four-striper white belt. And it was, like, a world of difference. And I was like, what what just happened? Yeah. Like, mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and for me, the only thing I enjoy about the belting system or looking at belts is when you go on YouTube and you do what they, they call, like, um, the undercover white belt. <laughs> Where, like, some fucking ninja master will go into a gym, yeah. throw a white belt on, and, you know, fuck people up. And, and the, the reason that that's done, just so everybody knows, is not for the, the black belt to feel cool about himself. They're calling out frauds, right? No, what they're doing is they go into, like, a competition team, and they do it, and they're basically saying, don't go easy on anybody. You never know who you're rolling against. So a lot of instructors will do something like that where they'll, they'll take a black belt that's a friend of theirs or a national competitor, a Pan Am Games-type dude, and they'll drop him into a, a mat or an, a, a competition training team as a white belt, like he's just showing up to train for, for a comp or something, and he's a friend, and nobody will know who he is, but they'll kind of look, and they'll be like, you should YouTube, it's funny as hell. And the, the, they'll pull him to the front of the class at the end, and they'll say, you were rolling against so-and-so, who's multi-time this, Jesus. that, and the other thing. And they're saying, the reason we did this was we want you guys to know in competition, don't, don't go light. And... You know, always treat everybody as they're dangerous. Well, that, that's the thing I love about jujitsu too. Is there's the extreme opposite, as in there's been guys that have pretended to be a black belt that walk into a dojo and just got freaking just get murked, creamed. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, you know, um, look at the Eddie Bravo story. I mean, you know, a a Eddie. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. I don't know what you're referring to. Though. Who's tight with Joe? Uh, which was the Gracie he rolled with and beat, and it was unheard of in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it was, uh, I don't Hicks, know which Hickson? one. What? No, Huron. It was uh, Huron, I believe. It was one of them. But if you go back and you look at Eddie, you know, uh, very, not early in his career, but pretty er fairly early, he rolled and beat him in Brazil. Yeah. And, and that was Joe was saying. Like, he was like, that was like unheard, unheard of. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Like, he just submitted, he just tapped a Gracie. So I think there's there's stories like that out there and, and that show you that it can be done. And 
you know, it, it could be, and we've seen it in the UFC over and over again, different disciplines get defeated by different disciplines that come in, so, but for, for me, and I think I, you know, I speak for all of us, I, I think it's just a tremendously humbling experience, it's a lot of fun, that's enjoyable, and I think we're all enjoying it, and enjoying the camaraderie, and the friendship, and the things that come out of it. And, and there's I, growth in that humbling experience. Uh, yeah. And I'd like to believe that I earned a certain amount of respect from Aaron and from some of the people for going in there and getting my ass handed to me and putting the whole, the whole get up on because... Just it, wait it, for open mat, buddy. Fuck me. You know, <laughs> yeah. but it's fun. You'll see the purple belts just like, hmm, circling. You're like, oh God, go Sizing si- 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 <laughs> up. But yeah. I have to stand up for my white belt from that mafia, so... Well, two two out of the three are here, so we're good. Yeah, I think yeah. we are good. I think we'll, we'll we'll have to start packing shanks and stuff. We're going to have to be ready. We're going to have to really bring it. Brass, brass knuckles, maybe? Or like, uh, like a brass elbow patch in the gi. Maybe we could get away with that. <laughs> something. We're going to have to do something. We're going to have to pull out all the stops. I'm, I'm thinking the uh, shredder arm guards. Yeah. You know, from oh, the, nice. If yeah. all else fails, you guys, bribery. Mm-hmm. I had actually thought about that. All right, I'll have to consider that. Bribery for street cred. <laughs> for street cred. Yeah. Um, we could have some fun with that, I think. Uh, but no, it, you know, listen. Shout out to SBG and Kyle Belmont. For sure, awesome, awesome crew down there. Uh, can't thank them enough, uh, Leah. That segment was dedicated to you. We, we appreciate everything that you do down there and taking the time to deal with our dumbasses all day. And you know, of well, course. And if I could caveat on that, yeah, I just ahead. went to uh, camp in uh, Portland, uh, kind of where it all started. Yep. Uh, Coach Matt Thornton's place. And the funny thing about it is, you know, one tribe, one vibe, like. You're thinking, oh, it's going to be a little different. No, it was the exact same. It was really energy, yeah, and it was just amazing just to be there for a couple of days and just. That's watch awesome. Do you see yourself going. traveling and competing, Andy, at some point? I was told that I'm not allowed to compete by the leader of the White Belt Mafia. Also, this segment was dedicated to her. Um, <laughs> she was like, "Yeah, you're not competing. Uh, maybe that's for right now." I uh, could care less about the result of the competition. What interests me in going and competing is the diversity of uh, people that you'd be rolling against. Body type, size, strength, Mm. that to me is interesting because again, it's a pressure test. I'd go and watch, I'd say I have no desire to compete because that's not why I'm doing it. I think some people, uh, that can make me sound a little bit like a pussy. I can't say never. I would probably never. I would probably never. That was say my thought anything. originally too, but I do like. I know this is something that I will continue. I have no foreseeable end, and I think that the diversity and the experience in the competition setting will actually make you. Uh, it'll accelerate your learning curve even more. So mm. I look at it as just because again, it, um, like I've rolled with Aaron a bunch. And a, a lot of the open mats all have the same people. And we all come from the same school. And I remember the other, I mean, Travis was teaching a takedown class and I had a hold of like underneath somebody's armpit with a gi and I was going to do it. Travis taught and the guy moved his foot. And I looked across and I'm like, God damn it. We both went through the same class yesterday. Yeah. And we we're laughing at each other. Whereas if you go to uh, competition, you know, maybe, you know what I mean? I think you're just going to get a little bit more diversity of exposure, which in my opinion and in my experience accelerates your learning curve. I think it was Guy Ritchie that said it. He, he doesn't compete that much, but he's a black belt mm-hmm. in jiu-jitsu. He said, uh, and I think you may attest to this, because of the nature of our travel schedules and how much we get to travel, if you find mats or you find the ability to, to hit a, an outside gym, that can help as well. Yep. You know, go, go and roll with some guys at some different gyms and stuff like that. Um, I, I even consider, because Ruben was pushing me to go check out the Gracie um, law enforcement deal that he did, and it's it's actually caters to folks that have no experience whatsoever. So that's something I would definitely explore. I actually took the liberty of looking up dates, and I asked Lear if I thought you know it would be something that would be good. And I think it's something maybe I'll wait till I get to that first level 
before I look into, you know, at least I can say, hey, my gym thinks I'm safe. Are you going to compete, Aaron? Uh, I've already done one competition. God I, damn you. I went to the Rev. It's good. Yeah. I would do a house, you know. What did you think of it? House one. There is one, that uh, Gorilla Cup. Yeah. What did you think of the competition experience? Um, I was kind of expecting for my heart rate to kind of go up. Yeah. Just because I, you know, never. Oh, you've been through worse. And the, the funny thing about it is, is because my, my adrenaline from previous experience was like, nah, you got yeah. this. I was super calm, but my technique was not there. So, Did you feel a difference, though, uh, squaring up with somebody who came from a different environment? Did you feel the difference, or did it all kind of feel the same? It kind of felt the same, but at the same time, I, I kind of kind of feel like some of them were shamming a little bit. Huh, they interesting. Should, they should have been a little higher, you know. On the I have heard about that. People, uh, what do they call that? Not sharking, but what, they should have be advanced with their belts, but they want, like, no, no, just keep me a white belt for a bit. I want to do good in this competition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That happened. Dude. <laughs> well, I have to say, like, I, I, I did better in no gi than I did gi. That happens in everything, though, Andy. I mean, I was, when I competed in powerlifting, and it's, it's you know, you can go online. I, I competed in New England for a while, and I still hold a New England bench press record. I was a fucking shill at 242 because I was, like, 255, 260 all day. I starved myself to get down. <laughs> to, like, I was, like, I got on this. Like, you look at even professional bodybuilders like Flex Lewis. He gets on the scale of 212. Fucking an hour later, he's 220. Yeah. You know, I people mean. People are always game. And I understand why that's people game are in the game. game yeah. You know, and. I think you get to that point when you're like, say, you give an example, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I'm no expert, but like you're a four-stripe white belt for quite some time, maybe a little longer Just than Just six you years. Be. It's not a big deal. You know, I mean, you know, I think there's a little – because, I, and I don't think it has anything to do with stacking trophies. I think it, it, it has to do with once you make that leap, now you're in a whole new space, and you go back down, you know, a few clicks. And growth can occur. Yeah. Right. And so I would say if you get a new belt, I, what I would recommend is I would say dive into a competition, get your ass handed, handed to you. Handed to you. That would be then, the right approach. And then grow out of that. Well, like yeah. uh, Coach Cody, first thing he did as soon as he got promoted to purple, he dived right into a tournament. He's yeah, like, that's what you got to do. Let's just test the sucker yeah. out. And yeah. He did pretty well. No, ab- absolutely. And I and I think you know where jujitsu's at in, in this country, and particularly what we'll see, you know, out there and what we've seen, you know, I think the belting system's so legit that it's just, you know, it, you can tell who has it and who doesn't pretty quickly. And, um, you know, it's not something that they, you're easily able to jump rank either. So, you know, you can't blame someone for being a fucking stud at, you know, four stripes at the white because they you want that. I mean, you want to see that because that makes it more compelling and it makes it more real. So... You know, I mean, it's it's powerful. About, about the only person that doesn't really apply to is Gage. Mm. He's a little spider monkey. Well, I, I watched him when I went to the, Re- the Revolution, that last tournament, and he was literally ripping people's souls out and showing it to them. Uh, his, first, yeah. his first Nogi match was like 36 points to zip, and his second match was like 44 points to zip. I mean... It was ridiculous. So white belt mafia technique for him is somehow just figure out a way to get on top of him and just lay there. Ooh, surf him. Yeah. No, just hold on. Just hold on for dear life. For like five minutes. Wear him down. (laughs) Because otherwise it gets bad. He is a spider monkey. He's a spider monkey. Spider monkey. I hate the flexible ones because I'm so not flexible. Oh, and he's gymnastic in his approach as well. Oh, my God. How's your uh, your guard pool going, by the way? You know, everything's getting a little better, Aaron. It's getting it's getting a little bit better. My shrimping, all my techniques are getting a little bit better, and I'm understanding. I mean, like I said, I work, and this is going to sound ridiculous, I work my best from the bottom just because the nature of the training I did with Ruben and Tony and that, because you start at the bottom and you have to kind of shake the guy and go shoot. So, of course, being mounted all the time, and Ruben will tell you this, you learn ways to get out of the mount kind of even on your own. 
So I had the ability to kind of figure it out on the fly. And of course, Ruben gave me a few techniques and ways. So that came very natural to me. You know, especially when Leah would say, okay, let's work off the bottom and, you know, and let's see what you got. I knew the techniques of how to, how to roll out and how to get out of that. So I felt very good. And she goes, that's good because you're so big that when you do get on top, you're going to be a load once you learn yeah, how to. Yeah, it would be almost impossible for yeah, people to get out. From once you bit. learn how to balance that and, and, and work that, and you'll be able to even drain some energy bars of some really good guys. And I think Gavin will have the, the, you know, the same It's the marquee of the White Belt Mafia. Is be big and burly. Just and apparently we're anchors, and anchor. people complain about it consistently. Hold on for dear life. Speaking of, I got to get to class. Yeah, so we got we to gotta wrap because uh, my main man here got to get to class. But uh, a lot of good points, a lot of good stuff. I, I love the chat, Andy. I'd love to do this again whenever sure. and make you a regular guest and, and have you on more because you're local and you have no excuse in plain fucking English. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's less than one mile from my house to here. What do you want to, uh, as we wrap, what do you want to plug? What do you want to touch on? Who do you want to shout out? Shout out your podcast. Plug all your brands, anything you want. Uh, I don't. I'm, I don't really feel a need to plug anything. Plug. Uh, my podcast is called Cleared Hot. It's been going. I think I'm at 59 episodes. You need to be one of the guests in the very near future. You tell me when and I'm there. I want to have Leah on as well too. Her background is fascinating pre jujitsu, but I also think her background uh, probably makes her really good at what she does. It's all. It's all. It's a cohesive experience. I think it's. Uh, so there's that, the Cleared Hot podcast. I mean, I'm on all the social media platforms. It's some version of my name. Uh, if someone has to find you, what's the best best way? If they have a question or want to... Just go to andystumpf.com, which, okay. again, was a website that was recommended to me by somebody who's far smarter than me. And they said, hey, you need to have a website. So I said, okay. And it, it kind of explains who I am, but there's a contact button. And it it highlights a lot of the things that I do. And if you, you know, click a button, it just says contact and email me, and I'll shoot you Shoot him an back. email. He'll do yeah. his best to get back to you. Uh, anything, Aaron, you want to chime in with before we wrap? Um, no, I mean, it's, it's been awesome to get you up here and, and yeah. chat with you, and hopefully I can jump on your podcast one of these days. For sure, man. Shit. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I know. I think we got to do that. We need to hit the range one day. Just go out and just sling some rounds. Sling some brass. But I appreciate everyone. and it's Yeah, it's been awesome. It's been a a great uh, time having Andy in here. I want to thank all the sponsors for a second. Kenzie's Optics. I want to thank, shout out to Tactical Taylor as well for providing the bags. I mean, the guys over there are fucking awesome. Uh, BB and those guys. I want to give a a quick shout out to, to, as as I said earlier, Bang Energy Drinks. And of course, uh, 221B Tactical and uh, Slingshot. I saw Smokey on there. You were making fun of my arm workouts. You said, I think I got to hit the arms a little harder. Fuck you, Smokey. So shout That's out to really Mark the Powell. only response to that. Oh, God. And Smokey, <laughs> if you haven't had Andy on, you got to give Andy a shout. you got to get him on there. So shout out to those guys. And Taurus USA, of course, Taurus, uh, the, some of the best revolvers out there. love those things. So shout out to Taurus. Uh, love you guys. And uh, appreciate everybody. Go check out the websites. Check out everything. And make sure you click uh, like and subscribe on our YouTube. And, of course, subscribe to our podcast. All the comments, everything, all the interactions greatly appreciated. Please feel free to share Andy's episode. And he's going to be on again. So uh, we'll get Andy back out here and uh, For sure. and definitely check out all his pages, all his ads. We got to get him off to jujitsu. We appreciate everybody and from the Falcor headquarters here, and uh, I thank everybody with Falcor and Dracos, Jason and Melinda, and the whole team. Thank you guys. <laughs>